Leadership File on Premiere. On the Leadership File, we like to reflect on leadership in a way that helps Christians in leadership change the way they lead. Of course, those who lead perfectly don't need to listen. I'm Andy Peck. So I'd like to point you to resources that can be of help in your reflection. From time to time, we've commended Grove Books, who provide a range of shorter books and e-books. And this week, we're looking at, in particular at a new title by Ian Paul, Evangelical Leadership, with its author, the Reverend Dr Ian Paul. Ian is Associate Minister at St Nick's uh, Nottingham and Honorary Assistant Professor at the University of Nottingham. He spends his time writing, researching and speaking in a freelance capacity. You can find his blog at www.sofizo.com. I'll spell that a bit later for you. So welcome, Ian, to the Leadership Farm. Thanks very much, Andy. Hi. I'll get you to, to pronounce your blog for us a bit later, but what, what, what developed your interest in this particular topic, evangelical leadership? Well, Andy, I think three things. Firstly, there's a personal reason. Um, I, uh, when I was at university, felt God calling me into Christian leadership. So I've been involved in leading in different capacities myself uh, for 30 years or so. I think the second thing is that um, I'm not a leader of a church at the moment. I'm associate minister, uh, but I travel around different churches, and I'm very conscious the difference that leadership makes in the local church, both positively and, sadly, sometimes negatively. But the other thing, um, I'm involved in the wider structures in the Church of England as well, and I've noticed that in the Church of England and in other denominations, the question of leadership is a really hot topic, and it's the, it's the focus of the moment. I mean, some people are very suspicious of leadership. They don't like the idea of having strong leaders on the one hand. On the other hand, sometimes you get the feeling that uh, actually we're going to be saved by finding the right leaders and training them well. Sure, sure. Yes, you're, you're, you're part of General Synod? Yes, that's right. I'm also on the uh, Archbishop's Council, which is, uh, I've just started on that. It's a very interesting experience indeed, working working closely with Justin Welby, John Sentamu, a number of other bishops and other leaders in the Church of England. Yeah, splendid. Now, the book is divided into five chapters. Uh, so for, for uh, listeners, uh, the, the chapter headings are being a leader, being evangelical, being missional, being biblical, being engaged. So I don't want to go get too technical too soon, but in the leadership chapter... You look at the Greek words for leader and suggest the word leader, as we typically use it, is rather different from the various Greek words used in the New Testament, and indeed uh, the Greek words that weren't chosen uh, by the uh, by the authors. So, so talk us through that. I, I don't want to get too technical, but I think it's an in- interesting and a key uh, key observation at the start. Yeah, I think part of it is simply recognising that the moment we talk about leadership, we're actually doing something different from. Very, what very much of the New Testament writers are doing, and we just need to be alert to that. For a start, we talk about leadership as a sort of an abstract idea, and that's something you just tend not to find in the New Testament. It, this is really important in the debate about leadership, because some people will say, oh, we don't believe in strong leaders, you don't find them in the New Testament, and we just need to recognize and say, hang on a minute, actually there are ideas of leadership in the New Testament, but they're expressed in different ways from the ways we might. I mean, it just so happens our word leader comes through a German route rather than through many of our words which come through uh, through Greek and Latin. So we just simply got a mismatch of vocabulary there. Having said that, um, one of the things I found really, really striking is the way that in the New Testament, the terms used for Christian leaders seem to very carefully avoid the normal terms for leaders in other, what we might call secular contexts, not entirely secular, in the sense that um, there are plenty of words for uh, leaders of peoples, for uh, synagogue leaders, we find that there's a regular Greek word used for that. Interestingly, when 
Paul, when the Gospel writers, when the other writers of letters actually talk about leaders or people in authority or influence in the Christian communities, they consciously avoid those secular words. In fact, you know, Jesus in his teaching said, you know, you know the Gentiles, the leaders of the Gentiles lorded over the people. Not so with you, he says, that uh, you are the one who's going to be great needs to be the servant of all. After all, Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. And I think that has some really serious implications for how we think about leadership in the church, but also how we do and don't adopt ideas from the wider world about leadership. I, I would, I'd never, certainly wouldn't say that the world's got it all wrong on leadership, but we just need to be really aware that there are some fundamental assumptions that the world in general makes about leaders and leadership. And actually, Jesus says to us, you need to filter those out. <laughs> the yeah, Christian yeah. vision of leadership yeah. is actually quite distinct, uh, and distinct in quite tangible ways. I mean, some will be familiar with the style of a, a Bill Hybels, John Maxwell, Rick Warren. They kind of advocate a leader casting vision, mm -hmm. calling people to fulfill it. And, of course, they've all got ministries where that was the case. Yep. And, uh, you know, some starting from very small, particularly, um, you know, uh, Rick Warren started from just a, a few people in his home and they're now, you know, yeah, 20,000 plus. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So is this kind of leadership absent, do you say, in the New Testament? Or is it just a modern expression of Christian leadership? Well, I think two observations. First of all, I think this style of leadership is very attractive. I think many of us love the idea of people who've got vision. It's very stimulating. And we love being in, involved in an exciting project. And as their ministry shows, it can be very effective. I think the question I have is, is this the normal model for leadership as we, of, of the Christian community as we see it in the New Testament? And it's fascinating that you can mention these specific names, because if I said to you, who was the leader of the church in Philippi that Paul wrote to? Who was the leader of the church in Rome? Who was the leader in any Christian community? You, you wouldn't be able to give me an answer. And it's one of the fundamental differences between New Testament leadership and the leadership we, models we assume is that in the New Testament, leadership is always plural. For me, when, when God called me into leadership, the, the really significant text was in Acts 13. And Acts 13, uh, there are two very striking features of the leadership of the church in Antioch. First of all, it's plural. There are five people named, and there is no one person named, named as the leader. There are these teachers and prophets leading the church. And the second thing is they are very, very culturally diverse. It's almost as if Luke is trying to say to us, look, haven't you realized that, that the Christian community is diverse? It's diverse ethnically. It's diverse, not diverse theologically. It's diverse culturally. Uh, and actually, the leadership of the church is similarly diverse. And actually, there's a sense in which Luke's trying to say to us, true Christian leadership by the Spirit actually rep represents that kind of diversity we find in the body of Christ. Right. So, so I wouldn't say that the leadership, those leadership styles are absent. Particularly, I, I love John Maxwell's work on relational leadership. I think that's really, really key. Um, but the danger is when you have a single person who has a vision and they cast that vision, people follow. The danger is that you have a singularity rather than a plurality of leadership. And of course, the question is, where does the vision come from? And um, I was very struck by David Watson's My Great Hero. And uh, it was said of David Watson that when he used to um, do Bible study or, or whatever with people in small groups, he would be really clear. He was not the teacher with the other people, the learners. They were all learners together, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that, that really informed his understanding of right. leadership and, and what we're about. And I think that's true in the Pauline communities as well. We see in the New Testament that the Spirit is present, so everyone has ministries, everyone contributes to discerning that vision uh, from God, and in the end it's Jesus who is the leader. In fact, that goes back to Jesus' own teaching. You know, 
don't call any one teacher you have any one teacher indeed yeah yeah no that this has a fast and, and that's, that's very radical and it's, <coughs> I think it's something we we struggle very hard to uh, to get our heads around i'm sure and i mean many free church people would be you know would look at um the the, the sort of role a vicar has in a, an anglican church and the yeah. safety and security they have yeah. with 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 a, a degree of um envy to some to some yeah, degree. No, no, um, because, yeah. because you know um, they they they're often finding maybe they you know they have a church that won't follow their their lead in quite quite such a way whereas the, there's an obligation perhaps in an Anglican structure to do so so um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely <clears throat> and when you have one person who as it were quote unquote is in charge you can do lots of stuff mm. and it means you can do lots of good stuff but it also means you can go wrong quite easily as yeah well. no, sure sure. Now, you, you mentioned tribalism in the church and um, the adjective sometimes used to describe an, an evangelical, um, you know, the, the adjectives of conservative, of open and charismatic. Your view that it's not good to distinguish between types of evangelical. Um, and I, I'm just reflecting on that and obviously the premier radio and, and the, the wider media field is that church leaders often operate tribally because they have kind of friends in their camp. And I'm wondering how much you believe the work of God's hindered by leaders narrowing their outlook in that way. Well, I think it's an interesting question. I mean, I find it fascinating now, particularly in my role where I'm actually traveling and speaking quite a lot in different contexts. And I find that I end up in conversations with people I would call conservative evangelicals, and I find I've got a lot in common with them. And one of the things I value about that tradition is its real focus on uh, on Scripture. I uh, talk to people who call themselves open evangelicals and I think their use of insights from other contexts and traditions is very valuable and I encounter people who would be called charismatic Christians and I, and I uh, charismatic evangelicals and I, and I I really see the, their openness to the work of the Spirit as, as very powerful and very challenging and, and I have something in common with all three and for me in the end I have to go back to what does evangelical mean? The, the word evangelical comes from the word meaning good news gospel, the good news of Jesus we find in the Gospels, in the letters, in the New Testament of what God has done in Christ. Now, in the end, that, for me as an evangelical, has to be the touchstone. So for me, I don't, I'm not sure I've got the liberty to define myself as conservative or open or charismatic. In the end, I need to go back to the Gospel. I need to say, does the Gospel require me to conserve things? Then I will conserve them. Does the Gospel require me to be open to things? I will be open to them. Does the Gospel require me to be charismatic, to be open to what the Spirit is doing? To the extent that it does, I need to do that, and it seems to me I'm, I'm, I guess it's nice to have a focus in a particular tradition and say this is what we stand for. Um, but I want to be open to all the things that the gospel demands of me, and there's a sense in which I feel I can't truly call myself an evangelical unless it's the gospel, it's the it's the pages of the New Testament to which I I, I give an account. Sure, and and that that those pages, of course, in some senses maybe. It leads you to a charismatic conclusion in some cases, maybe a more open conclusion to Absolutely. the narrow, yeah. the narrow conservatism. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, and, I guess, <clears throat> and I guess I, I mean, think people probably label me an open evangelical, and I think the strength in that particular tradition. I, I worry that sometimes that tradition doesn't take scripture seriously enough. I worry that the conservative tradition doesn't take the spirit seriously enough. I worry that the charismatic tradition doesn't take uh, scripture and the insights around seriously enough. So yeah, I think we're, we're going to be much stronger together. Sure. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Packer. I'm joined this week by Ian Paul. Ian is the author of a new book uh, published by Grove Books, Evangelical Leadership. We'll be back just after this. So welcome back to The Leadership File. Me, Andy Packer. I'm joined this week by Ian Paul. Ian is the uh, 
author of a new book, Evangelical Leadership, published by Grow Books. We're talking before the break a little bit about some of the themes of the book uh, early on and, and some of the language that uh, is used to describe a leader, particularly, uh, that, that uh, Ian Port picks up in the, in the first chapter of the book. Um, I'd like to focus a little on the missional element of the book, um, Ian. Uh, you describe the pressure you once felt personally to be evangelistic and the, uh, the pressure churches can feel, especially if they're declining. Um, and, and, the, and a false dichotomy between maintenance and mission, which I've certainly come across, and I thought you, your insights into that could be worth elaborating. Mm, yeah, I, uh, It's funny, isn't it? There are, there are phrases that go around, and you wonder why they become popular. Uh, and, and this phrase, moving from maintenance to mission, has, has been banded around for, I don't know, 20 years or so. Mm. It sounds very attractive. I've got a sneaky feeling the reason why it sounds so attractive is simply because it's alliteration. Yes, <laughs> yes. If the two words didn't begin with the same letter, we wouldn't have got it. <laughs> I mean, I suppose the analogies of the household, you know, we have people coming around, and it would be really odd if I said to someone, you know, oh, come around for dinner, and when we got there, there was no food. They said, I'm sorry I didn't have time to cook. I was too busy inviting people. <laughs> I, didn't, yes. I didn't clean my house. I'm sorry I was too busy inviting people around. No, you know, in the sense, people are going to come if there's a nice meal or if the house is mm. tidy. Mm. And... Um, People will be attracted to the Christian community if those Christian communities are well maintained, in mm. the sense that not of just focusing on their own needs, but in the sense that these are communities where there are uh, positive and affirming relationships, where there are real relationships, where the, where the community is actually taking seriously um, the demands of the world around it, where there's a sense when you come into a community of a real encounter with the presence of God. Uh, now, those things are maintenance-type issues. They are about, they're, they're not about, you know, just um, uh, inward focus and your own agenda, but they are things that involve energy. Uh, so it isn't simply a question of looking outwards always and focusing on mission and not and, and, and moving away from maintenance. Actually, it's, it, it's both and. Yes. Um, but I, I guess this comes back for me to the, uh, uh, as a, a good evangelical teenager, I was told that I ought to be sharing my faith. So I tried to do that. And um, you know, I, I remember reading uh, Rebecca Manley Pippa's book, Out of Thought Shape. Yes, indeed, yeah. You know, evangelism wasn't something I'd do to my dog, let alone <laughs> yes. my friend. Because it's so often talked about something that we do to people. Mm. And again, I've been really challenged going back to the New Testament and saying that I can't find very much language in the New Testament about sharing faith as something that we ought to be doing. Because yeah. it seems as though in the New Testament, most of the time, people were so actually excited by and caught up with a vision of what God has done for us in Jesus and, and so um, enthralled with what God had done in their lives that, that it wasn't an effort, it wasn't something they had no. to do to other people, it was a natural spillover, you know, the, the disciples who uh, left Jerusalem went up to Antioch they just, nobody told them not to share their faith, so, you know, by accident they went and told everybody about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> I rather like that way around, you know, nobody told them not to share, so they did, you know, kind of slightly improperly, and, and they didn't just tell their fellow Jews, they actually went and told the told Gentiles as well, yeah. they told people who weren't supposed to have received the grace of God but they just did it naturally, it's, they, they couldn't help doing it. And, um, and you don't have the Apostle Paul giving strategic advice to churches on how to do it better or, you know. Oh, amazingly, amazingly <laughs> <laughs> it just it just seems to have happened. Yeah. And uh, again, it, it's true for the Church of England. I'm sure it's true for other denominations as well. We're really conscious of um, the decline in numbers. And, you know, I've been to several meetings where people say, oh, the decline in church numbers isn't a reason for evangelism, but uh, we probably ought to do evangelism anyway. You know, again, the language <laughs> of all. And, and you've got the sneaking <laughs> feeling that people are thinking about who's going to pay the parish share in 10, ten years' time. <laughs> yes. um, 
rather than saying, you know, actually, if we're if we're focused on what God has done and we're excited about that, that's naturally going to spill over. Yes, okay, we might need some help in saying, how do I express that in a way to my friends, which is natural. Although, having said that, when I've seen people coming to faith in their first year or two, they don't need any help in that. They they they, they seem to know how to do it. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Now. Um you talk a little bit about what what the the word mission means, and of course you're familiar with the the wide ranging debates about what is a mission, what is evangelism, etc. What 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 what's your feel about that that particular topic? Um, I think that the local church needs to be engaged in its community um, and at every level of that. So that's about personal relationships. Um, we moved house a couple of years ago, and uh, we found that we moved into a street where there was quite a strong sense of community and. And we bought a dog as well. And that was a great way of just getting to know folks. So actually, as I walk up and down the street, I know people. We're getting conversation that I, I, I can pray for folk. You know, I was walking past their houses. Um, so there's, there's a sense about being personally engaged. I think as communities, we need to be engaged as well. Um, we, as a church, have got very involved in the uh, citizens' agenda as well, the citizens' charter, and, and the groups there really campaigning for things locally. Um, but, I mean, that's not that's not simply about saying, oh, it's about a social gospel. It's um, We're very happy as well to be talking about why we're doing this and why our faith in Jesus makes us want to be engaged. Uh, it's also about just simply, I think, you know, just as your local building, it would be odd not to have a, a door. Um, do we have doors? Do we have ways into the church? It's very easy for us to underestimate how strange the culture of the local church is to people who are not used to it. Do we have easy ways in? Do we have windows that shine light so that people can see who we are and what we're doing and we can see what's going on in the world around us? So so for me, I think mission is always going to be multifaceted. Um, and I decided some time ago I wasn't an evangelist. I think my ministry is about a, a teacher. But because I think sharing faith is important, I've committed myself in my rule of life to be involved in evangelistic things. So every year I take part in an alpha course at our church and give a number of the talks just so that I'm... I'm, I'm always reminding myself that actually, in the end, if if my faith isn't drawing other people to meet Jesus, then there's there's something missing. Sure, you're, do, you're doing the work of an evangelist, as um, Paul urged yeah. urged Timothy yeah. in two Timothy four. Yeah. Um, so maybe we could just for a few minutes to explore the, the, the approaches to mission that you have found to be helpful. You write about three models in in yeah. your book: um, the healthy church, uh, missional communities, and acts of love. And I was. Comp- I, I knew particularly the Mike Breen uh, missional community concept, and perhaps less well the other two. So perhaps you could talk a little bit about those um, as, a, as a taster for folk who want to get the book. Yeah, um, I've been really intrigued in the last year or so reading Tom Schultz's book. Uh, and the book has got a slightly negative title, Why Does No One Want to Come to Church Anymore? Yeah. Uh, but actually he's really exploring something which is not unrelated to Mike Breen's work on missional communities. Mm. He's really looking at a, a relational approach to mission and evangelism. So what, what is it he explores would make a church um, irresistible? And he talks about quality of relationships. He talks about honesty. He talks about openness. And one of the perhaps the challenging things is to say, you know, to admit to those outside the church that we don't have all the answers. You know, sometimes people look at, look at Christians and say, oh, they're, they're either all right or they're rather arrogant. They think they've got life sorted. And actually, you know, most of us know we haven't got life sorted. We know someone who has, uh, and we're on the way to having our life sorted. But it's actually being honest about questions and doubts as well and inviting people into those conversations. Again, a very relational approach. Um, the, the first of the three, the healthy churches model, it's not one that's very well known, but it was um, material devised by Robert Warren um, when he was up at St. Thomas Cook's Sheffield. Um, and it's actually been an influence behind quite a lot of other things. In fact, I, I Mike Green was also in Sheffield when he was doing his work on mission communities. Um, 
and um, I really love Walt Warren's work, and I've used it quite a lot. And it's 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 a, um, a, a quite a straightforward way of saying what are the different elements of um, a healthy church? Because in the end, we, we talk about church growth or evangelism. You know, the whole language of church growth is organic. And Robert's question is, look, what, what makes a healthy church? Because when you, I look out my garden, it's the healthy plants that are growing. And again, I don't need to sort of look at them and say, you need to grow, you need to grow. What I need to do is feed them or water them and prune them and keep them healthy. And actually, if they're healthy, then they will grow. So I really valued that. I was a healthy church's consultant in the previous diocese I was in. I found that all sorts of places were really interested in that question of what mm. does a healthy church look like. Sure. Um, I'm, I'm not intending to explore all the elements of the book, um, Ian, but the, just a few words about the, the being biblical chapter um, and what you see is the importance of, of hermeneutics. Um, and, and just to underline that being biblical is not just pointing to text to back up your argument. There's actually a whole... <laughs> no. uh, but some people seem to have that kind of concept and um, they argue we're, we're biblical just because we've got a verse on our side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you know, it's a, it's a thorny issue. It would be great to be able to solve that problem in uh, <laughs> And I think oh, you've done very well in a few minutes to uh, to summarise that you know uh, that that dilemma. So, what what do you hope in the book might accomplish, Ian? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, one or two people said to me, "Oh, I, I was hoping that you'd said simply more about evangelical understandings of leadership." But it seems to me that to be an evangelical leader means to reflect on how we understand leadership and what our sources are for leadership. It also means reflecting on, I suppose, not just being an evangelical leader, but being an evangelical leader. What does it mean if we're exercising leadership as evangelicals? What, how do our evangelical convictions shape that? And it seems to me the reason why I've included all that range of chapters is that these are the things that as evangelical leaders we can't avoid. We can't avoid the questions around Scripture. And how do we lead our congregations into engaging with Scripture? One of the things I find quite worrying as I travel around different evangelical churches is that the, the practice of reading Scripture together seems to be on the decline. I mean, there are some quite, I won't name them, but some quite big, quite well-known churches where they actually spend no time reading Scripture together at all. They, they would say, they would argue that, oh, well, Scripture features in other places. But, you know, the public reading of Scripture, where we're actually enjoined to engage with that, is really important in terms of forming us, in terms of our, our maturity as disciples and our, and our effectiveness in mission. Um, so 
So I think these are the different things that we've really got to take seriously as evangelical leaders, not simply techniques of leadership or understanding of leadership, but what does it mean to be leaders in mission? What does it mean to be leaders forming our communities who are rooted in Scripture and so on? So I'm, I'm hoping that it'll, I suppose, form something of an agenda for a discussion point about what evangelical leadership is all about. Well, that's splendid. And, and how can people get a, a copy of the book? Uh, the best place is to go to the Grove Books website. So if you just search for Grove Books or you go to grovebooks.co.uk, you can order online. The great thing is in the UK, uh, copies are post-free as well. We don't charge postage. So oh, well. well or, or go to your local Christian bookshop and they get hold of it. And, and just to say, it is a very um, reasonable price as well. So It is. It's, it's not cheap. It's good value, I keep saying to people, three ninety five. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's very good, very good. And and your blog, uh, I, well, I, pronou- I pronounced it Safiza. Is it Sofizo? Have I pronounced it correctly or anything yeah, like that? I don't know if you've heard the term isopsethism, which is about, it's a numerological thing where two words have the same value. Well, Sofizo is just the word to, to calculate, to work out. And uh, it's a, the reason it's, it's sort of a pun, you can actually read about it on the blog. Uh, my background originally was in mathematics, so uh, I, I did a lot of calculating and working things out. And uh, it's nice to join theology and math together. Well, wonderful. Well, I commend that to you and do uh, log on to Premier's website too and listen to archived versions of the Leadership File, including this one in due course. I look forward to your company again uh, next Sunday at uh, 3.30. Thanks, Ian, again for your help. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's Word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.